Welcome to Tackless Radio. So keys, I don't know what they are, I just click shit People wanna put me in charge, I do big shit Weed in a couple of jars, that's for the homie though Least five bitches look at me like I'm the Romeo Knee high boots, I think she bout to join a rodeo Levi's tighter than a knot when you board a boat Board a boat, co-flow, four below, little mix bitch shit She used to the Zorno, flew right to Milan Now she take a pic of every place she bout to eat on We on, man, what the fuck is it really? Came a long way from taking two trains to the city Two chains to the titty, Wu-Tang to the cream Luke Kang, cause she flew two lakes for the kitty Feel me? Roll through the city with the vroom, vroom. I got hoes trying to get me in the room, room. I get low when it hit me with the zoom, zoom. I got foes in the semis in the deuce, deuce. Like, boom, boom. Boom, boom. Uh, boom, boom. Yes, yes, yes. Come on in. Come on in. Bring your ass on in here. And welcome back to another episode of Tackless Radio. It is I, Be Bad. You already know the deal. And... Let's just go ahead and give it up for Benjamin David Goldberg. I know y'all are like, who the fuck is Benjamin David Goldberg? That is his government name. He goes by Token. And Token is a rapper, the rapper you just heard coming in here. Yes. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen and everyone in between, I too am shocked that I found this particular song. And not really, because it's, Token featuring Jid, which I'm a very big Jid fan. So I was going to find this song eventually anyway. But doing a little bit of research on Token, I found out that he is a 23-year-old white man from Boston, Massachusetts. <laughs> um, and the reason that I am laughing is because I try to use my platform more often than not to highlight African-American rappers who are also women, gay men, or women presenting. And because they don't get a lot of shine, you know, a lot of men, African-American men, white men, hell, Latino men, they get recognition in hip hop already more than women do. And I try to use my platform to really highlight women because they need it. They need it. To be honest, like we need more platforms that highlight black female MCs. And I try to be one of them. But I found this song um, Friday, actually, um, because I like to plug into what Spotify has for new music that drops on Friday. So I like to kind of skim through, see what all the girls are doing. What are they drop? What are they dropping? And I came across this song, Boom is the title of the song by the way and I was like this shit is oh the production was amazing the lyricism was on point I was like I'm gonna go ahead and just add this to my liked playlist and I've been listening to it since Friday and then it comes time for me to pick 
a song of the week. And I was like, this is a really good song. It just dropped. I'm gonna give this to you all as the song of the week with something that'll amp you up. You know, it's a good gym song. It's a good song to it's probably not a good song to drive to. It's a good gym song. I'll, I'll say that. And I want to share it with y'all. But as I'm sitting here doing more research on Token, because I'm unfamiliar with him, I'm like, wow, I think that I think he is the first white man that I decided to give to you all as a uh, song of the week. So y'all definitely can't come for me about my lack of diversity. Okay everybody gets a little play over here but I actually read a little bit more about him and found him to be super interesting he was a young child that suffered with anger issues and was diagnosed with anxiety and depression very early on has always been into hip-hop his older sister introduced it to him and he wanted to be a rapper ever since he was a kid and found the likes of Tupac and Ludacris and Eminem of course and was like, I want to do this rapping thing. And shockingly, um, uh, I, 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 visuals just came to mind, right? Because he's from Boston. I could see a young white boy from Boston trying to rap and getting booed, which he did. He did not find a lot of success locally, but he found a lot of success online. Um, one thing led to another. A producer picked him up, found him and his friend at the time, C. Mitch, to have a lot of potential and you know shake round and roll and now he has a music label that he started and a distribution deal with Atlantic has dropped his first project titled Pink is Better and I guess I'm really looking forward to see what comes from Token he definitely is friends with Tech 9 and I can see why after looking at his Instagram and some of his aesthetics but he is talented I will definitely give him that I am willing to see more I can't wait to see more this was a happy find and I wanted to share it with you all so token featuring Jid and the song is called boom and that is your song of the week so now that we are done with pleasant trees let's go ahead and get into shit I saw welcome 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 Ladies and gentlemen and everyone in between. And it is now time for Shit I Saw. <sighs> I'm letting you know now. I'm letting you all know now. This particular Shit I Saw might be a little interesting. A little off the wall. I would love to get you all's feedback. Make sure that you all are following me on Instagram at tackless underscore radio. Following me on Twitter at tackless underscore radio. Also, make sure you're following me on Spotify, Pandora, Google Music, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts. I am definitely trying to get my engagement up this year. So I would love if you all could follow me everywhere, share me everywhere, you know, give your girl a little love. I would so appreciate it. But let's go ahead and get into this shit I saw. This shit I saw is coming from Steven's story. Steven is S-T-E-P-H-E-N, story is S-T-O-R-E-Y. And his tweet goes, my dad said the best business partner is your wife. Pick her well. I thought this was an interesting tweet because a lot of what I hear from people who are divorce lawyers or people going through divorces is a lot of the redlining that they were unaware of 
that marriages have within them. Because I think marketers and the diamond company have done an amazing job brainwashing us to think that marriage is only about love. Like if you love someone, you marry them. End of story. That couldn't be further from the truth. And I think my generation, because a lot of us are just instead having domestic partnerships and co-parenting, and we're not getting married as quickly, we're not getting married as often, and we're not staying married that long. So I think my generation is kind of stepping back and saying, okay, if I'm going to make this commitment, what all does it come with? Because in the past, women had to get married just to survive. So you really wanted to at least find a man that you didn't hate, that wouldn't beat you and was kind to you and was generous enough with this money. Like women would be like, bitch, like, so what? He looks like Quasimodo, marry him. Like that, like that's the best, that is the best scenario for women when it came to marriage. Finding someone you loved who treated you well and was at least generous enough with this money because you couldn't work, you couldn't make money. So you would at least hope the partner you had to give you a little bit. But times have changed, you know, times have definitely changed. And now we're looking at marriage completely different. I think we're looking at marriage for what it is. Because when people got married in the 50s and the woman knew that she was property of her husband, it was totally fine for it to be contractual the way that it was at that time because it was and still is a business agreement like your marriage contract the marriage license and, and that entire process is a business transaction it is a business agreement you are better off looking for someone who has very similar qualities and traits to what you would want in a business partner. So when I saw that tweet, I was like, you know what? I want to dive a little bit deeper on this one because so many people get married and then five years later are getting divorced. Like divorces are at 50%. That's high. That's high. We aren't able to say we know a lot of people who are able to say they've been married for 30 plus years. I'm blessed enough to have that example in my parents. But a lot of those situations do not occur anymore. And a lot of sociologists and economists are asking the question, why? You know, they're making guesses for us, talking about millennials are wasting money on avocado toast and not buying diamonds. So that's why they're not getting married. Like that kind of bullshit. I think it's more so because we're not ignorant to what it is anymore. So people are more hesitant to jump into that business agreement without really understanding what they're getting, what they're going to get out of it, and what it entails. So many people I've heard now are just way more comfortable with doing a live-in situation. Because I know a lot of the old grannies and the old aunties and, and your grandmama and your mama and the old folks are looking at women of today like, ugh, all of this shacking up. Ain't nobody getting married no more. Everybody having these babies out of, out of wedlock. Yeah, because what we did not know is that marriage is an option for us. It wasn't an option 
for your auntie and your great grandmamas. It's an option for us. And unfortunately, and what a lot of men are not realizing is that it does not look beneficial for a woman who is self-sufficient of today. I do not see, or there aren't many benefits anymore to being married outside of ones that you would also get if you had a business entity. So let me break that down. I think we should just stop looking at marriages. Like I love you, you love me, let's get married. I think we should be looking at marriages for what they are, which is a business. So when you're looking for a spouse, you should be looking for a business partner. Like who do you want as a business partner? Who do you want as the CEO of your company? Who do you want to represent your legacy? You look for that candidate with a fine tooth comb. You have hundreds of interviews. You have back and forth negotiations and you are clear on the role responsibility and then make an agreement between two individuals on what is going to occur. Don't you? We do fine tooth comb when it comes to business on who's going to run that puppy, right? You should do the same when it comes to looking for a partner for your love, for your life, for your home, for your children. You need to go through that individual with a fine tooth comb. You need to be negotiating. You need to maybe go on a couple more interviews. How many people you talk to, how many questions they ask, how many tests you got to take. They want you, they kind of don't want you. Will they call back, not call back? You be on pins and needles. But the way that y'all treat marriage is like, she cute, let's do it. You didn't get no background check. You didn't ask no questions. You don't know what her credit looked like, how much debt she in, what kind of bills are in her name. Is she emotionally intelligent? Is she angry and gets drunk? You don't know shit, but you signed up for it. No, 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 baby. So when you are looking for a spouse, you're supposed to be looking for somebody that's probably the equivalent of a business partner, the CEO to lead your company, right? And I think prenups are a fantastic way to establish grounds in a marriage. I know that a lot of people look at prenups like, oh, if I sign a prenup, then you don't love me and da, 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 da. No, look at prenups like severance pay. (laughs) Look at prenups like severance pay. Because if you had to get rid of your CEO of your company, oh baby, you gonna have to pay them a little something, something for them to step down. It's a transition plan that goes into place, okay? And they understand that. Technically, technically, I don't know if you all knew this, but severance pay is one to two weeks of an employee's pay for each year they work there. So take that information and break that down in the prenup, you know? And just be and agree to those terms and be done with it. It doesn't need to go back and forth and be overly emotional. And I don't think prenups are like the the, the killer of a marriage. I think it's smart for you to put the emotions aside and say, logically, if this bitch go up and smoke, why not have an exit strategy and a transition plan? Because every other company has one. You... The CEO could die tomorrow. The CEO of Uber could drop dead tomorrow. That business will not tank. That business will not fail. That business will keep floating. 
why when you have that much on the line when that much is at stake you've considered all options and you put a plan in place that if the worst happens you know what the fuck next to do i just if you put the marriage to a side if you if, if you just put marriage to the side is not what life insurances are for is not what having a policy a whole term policy is for because he might be your husband girl and y'all don't get divorced he might get into a car accident tomorrow you might be a divorcee or a widower you still a single mom and you need a plan y'all need a plan companies put all of these things in place so that if the worst happens everyone understands what to do next i don't see why you would not do that for your marriage considering it is a business entity so the same way uber got they fail stops your marriage need one too because your marriage is a business deal it's a business agreement it's a contract between two individuals that says by law clink clink so why not have some parameters on what that's going to look like i'll break i'll break it down to you i'll break it down even more for you i do believe that you should be operating your marriage like a business so we do a performance reviews at the end of the year what worked what didn't work you out here being a trash ass husband you on a pip now nigga you on probation and what happens if you cannot improve what happens if you cannot get off of probation do you get to keep that job no you don't get to be a shitty employee at your job not for too long so you don't get to be a shitty partner in this business agreement that is our marriage and I have a feeling if people operated in marriages in that way, the same way you do at your job, one, you'd be able to filter out bullshit so much easier and earlier so that you're not 12 years in and dealing with a whole bunch of stuff. If after a year when we do this performance review, if you cannot get your shit together, we're just going to go ahead and call it quits. You know, we had a nice run. It didn't work out. It's totally fine. Totally fine. Because we got a severance package here that if it didn't work out we can just separate let bygones be bygones and it didn't have to be messy you know you know i don't see the problem with doing that with a marriage you know i don't see the problem with having a performance review what worked what didn't work we need to see a therapist we need to go to marriage counseling okay amazing that is a part of the pip that means that the company has stated for X amount of time, you've not been hitting metrics or KPIs, or you've basically not been doing what you need to do. So this is your notice. And we're going to specifically work with you on improving because if we can't get you to improve, then maybe here is not where you need to be. And I think that's totally fine to have that mindset in a marriage. <laughs> I think it's totally fine to have that mindset in a marriage. The state looks at the state has classified the two of you all as a business entity. So operate like a business. Get this. Children are franchises. Are they not? Because every single child is its own little operation. And you are the parent company to all these little franchises. They got their own operating costs. They got their own employees. They gonna have their own issues. Some franchises run a little bit better than other franchises. Some franchises you ain't got to watch as much. Some franchises, the general manager and that bitch every month, just checking on things, right? Because get this, the Subway 
on Martin Luther King Avenue might be absolutely horrible. And you never go to that one. But you know that one got issues. Do you just keep yelling at the subway on Martin Luther King Boulevard? No, you call corporate. The parents. Same thing. You are still responsible as subway headquarters for that shitty subway on Martin Luther King Boulevard. You get complaints about it and everything. So now you got to go down there and check on, check in on it. You do the same thing with your children. You're responsible for those franchises. You're responsible for your children. Why not have a understanding of how the two of you all will parent before the children get here? Because when Subway wants to open up that franchise on Martin Luther King Boulevard, all stakeholders were notified and those who needed to be were held accountable on making sure it got done. I'm pretty sure there is an entire strategic plan put together before that Subway franchise opens up on Martin Luther King Boulevard. So I also need motherfuckers to be a lot more open, a lot more direct and communicative with each other before you have children. Have the conversation that if you got a divorce, what happens with the children before they even get here? If you all have two different religions, which one are you celebrating when it comes to Christmas? Do you want your children to grow up in a certain area? What is that area? What kind of schooling and education do you want them to have? Ask the hypotheticals. If your child came out to you as gay, how would you react? If your little girl wanted to play with trucks, how would you react? Give each other case studies. Okay, so if our kid got in trouble at school and the parent was called, how do you react? What does discipline look like to you? I think it's totally fair to have those conversations early. Because by the time the baby here, it's a little too late. Now you have more arguments, but I want to do this, but I want to do that. You don't even know what kind of parent that person would be. And granted, if you're a first time parent or just you're, you're not a parent right now and then you get married and then you both become parents for the first time together, I understand that things probably will change when the child gets here. But at least you all have a contract and an understanding and had a conversation as a foundation to go off of. Yeah, things might change because the baby here, but at least you said in times of discipline, these are the things you would do. And then why not sit down and say, okay, now that the baby here, I'm not gonna be that kind of parent. I wanna be this kind of parent. But because guess what? You can't switch up at your job like that and think that you can just not inform them of what's going on. You can't be like, you know what? I know that I agreed to come into the office three days a week, but with this COVID shit, you know what? I've, I'll, I'ma just work from home. And not tell nobody ahead of time. You just, they just don't see you in office. You just don't show up no more. And they're like, hey, uh, where you been? We've not seen you. You can't be like, oh yeah, girl. So I decided I was just going to work from home. I'm just fully remote now. Baby, you would get in trouble so quickly, wouldn't you? And y'all know that. Because y'all know how to act. Y'all know how to act. You do it with your employer all the time. Take some of them traits take some of them skills and apply it to your fucking relationship okay i truly do believe if we're able to reframe our idea of marriage 
it has the potential to be more successful. Because right now, 50% of marriages ending in divorces is high. It's really high. But I am very aware that there are other factors at hand. You know, women are making more money, so they're able to leave. They are able to financially set themselves up to have more freedom. So they're not in these patriarchal abusive relationships as they grandmama and mamas used to be in. Um, You have to take what you see at that moment. That's what they do in interviews. You don't hire an employee for their potential. You hire the employee for what they got on that resume and how they showed up to the interview. They don't get to like half-ass an interview and the recruiter be like, no, they'll get better. We can push them to become better. No, girl, you get the candidate that's going to be able to hit the ground running. You get the candidate, you don't have to train as much. You get the candidate that already is familiar with the tools and the processes. You don't hire the candidate with potential. No. You give the job to the nigga who's going to be able to knock it out of the park on day one. So that's how you need to be picking your partners. Point blank period. Woo. Let me know what y'all thought about this week's Should I Saw. I know. Very controversial. Or not. Look at your partner like a candidate for a position at your company. And you'll do the research and dig a little deeper. Because I'm telling you, girl, think of your company as like a badass company. Not everybody gets to work there, right? Everybody don't get access. Not everybody get the employee badge. Okay, so look at yourself like a badass company that everybody does not have access to and do more research, more interviews before you let somebody in. I don't know what I'm calling this segment yet, but I figured I change up random realities and throw in a little bit of pop culture reviews, especially since that's all I see on my Twitter, Instagram, TikTok feed is just so many renditions of Euphoria, playbacks of Abbott Elementary. Of course, everybody is excited that blackish has returned for their last season so there's a lot of stuff to Mm -hmm. watch there's a lot of things to digest and i figured we pick one of the shows and do our own little breakdown which is going to be euphoria because bitch (laughs) i'm all i'm already having a heart attack like i don't know if i really express this but I am not having children anytime soon because God fucking damn, if that's what these kids are going through these days, they can have it. They can fucking have it. Yes. It's what they're going through. It's what they're exposed to. It's that weird ass, submissive, impressionable Gen Z (laughs) just attitude that they just have to just succumb to. They feel and it's like, no, you don't you know, you don't have to take Molly before school. No, you don't have to do that. Like, <laughs> is it really that difficult of a choice? 
that is my lovely sister, Brianna. If you all can remember, should I saw sister edition? She was one of the three of our crazy asses. And I decided to invite her back because we are a big ass, humongous euphoria fans and decided that we were going to do some breakdowns because this show needs an interpreter because it's just fucking ridiculous. It's fucking ridiculous. But go ahead and give them a little introduction, Brie. Oh, well, yes. Hello. My name is Brianna. I am... You know, her sister, as she said. I'm an old soul. All right. Well, speaking of old souls, let's go ahead and get into our first episode review, which is Trying to Get to Heaven Before They Close the Door, which is a Bob Dylan song. And apparently we are going down Fesco's story. So I really do like the buildup of Euphoria, where they kind of give you an introduction of every single character's history kind of just like basically where where their childhood traumas began so you kind of understand why they're a psychopathic 16 year old so i really do appreciate that that's the setup that euphoria has had all through season one and now we're opening up season two with getting a little bit of fesco story and girl his grandma she did I, not come to play fucking games. I knew somebody, I knew his somebody in the family had to because the way that he just move about his business. I'm like, yeah, no, nah, grandma had to be a G because she wasn't no cookie baking. Here goes some milk and cookies type. No, <laughs> we're rolling. Somebody's trying to stick me from my paper. Grab the crowbar. Let's go. First of all, HBO loves showing dicks. So the, the fucking asshole in question was getting a blowjob at the same time she came in and just basically blew both his kneecaps out. And I don't even know what that man did, but whatever he did, he deserved it. Well, I feel like we're looking at young Fesco. I feel like that black eye or that disfigurement he had to his face had to hit come from daddy, which is why grandma pops him to be like, guess what? You're going to come live with grandma from now on. Cause daddy don't know how to keep his hands to himself clearly or at least that's what i picked up because i'm like oh is that who gave him the black eye that's why grandma was like "Mm -mm, not my baby when she blew his kneecaps out i really didn't question it to tell you the truth i was like whatever the fuck he did he deserved it and then it cuts to fesco's face and i was like see you like to hit women and children you should be happy she didn't blow your balls out Exactly, because the moment that interest, it, I mean, it when it kicked off with Fesco's grandma was a motherfucking G, and you just, the fact that it panned in with showing the gun with the badass suit just from the neck down was like, you don't even know, you don't even need to know what the face looked like just yet. Just know that this bitch is not playing. <laughs> and she don't care who see her because she in this bold ass ultramarine blue suit. We are then introduced to Fesco's grandmother, and then we understand now kind of just that we're about to get Fesco's backstory. His grandmother is basically a G. Uh, She sells Mm -hmm. drugs, and she never treated him like a child, which is something that he very much so appreciated. Like when she was basically at a whole ass drug deal, and even the drug dealer was like, who brings a kid to a drug deal? She's like, that ain't no kid. That's my partner. Right. (laughs) And I was like, okay, so Fesco has had to grow up very, very quickly. And then we have an introduction of Ashtray, which was even fucking crazier because it was some crackhead woman that gave her baby up as collateral and was like, oh, I'll pay you. Here's my child to make sure that I pay you. And then she never paid 
or I guess she disappeared. I think the grandma said she died and then they ended up with an extra baby and boop, we have Uncle Mm -hmm. Carl. Exactly. (laughs) Which is hilarious because I'm like, the moment that happened, I just thought about, (laughs) I just thought about what it is a family reunion when her mama traded her for ten dollars in the fix and i'm like yeah that baby ain't never seeing his mama again like, <laughs> oh my god never no. seeing his mother again so it's like, I mean, here's my baby to make sure to for a crackhead to give their baby up a collateral <laughs> and say here's my baby to make sure that i pay you is them basically saying here's an extra <sighs> check because they're not coming back she did not come back and thank god that's because grandmother is a is a kind woman because then she just started raising the the new baby you know grandmas are gonna raise babies that's one thing a grandma will do is raise the babies that right (laughs) when nobody else gonna raise that baby grandma gonna raise as we can see she don't like no child being done wrong she didn't pop her son son son-in-law in in the kneecaps trick out she gonna take care of a baby dropped off at her dough but then we also start to see the bond between Fezco and Ashtray. And it starts to make sense why Ashtray would give his life. That motherfucker is a soldier. Uh, <laughs> oh, my goodness. Ashtray. Just because that's all he know is people that run a business and take care of him. And he ain't never had to question shit. So he going to ride for his people by any means. Yep. Yep. And it just became super sad when grandma got older ended up having a stroke, poor Fezco driving her to the hospital, which when you're having a stroke, every minute counts because that's when you're not getting oxygen to your brain. So it would have benefited him. It would have benefited him to call 911, but he he's so young, but he understands the game so well that he knew he couldn't call emergency services to the fucking trap house so he loaded the car up with his grandmother and tried to get her to the hospital which is commendable like i completely up but it was just sad because now his grandmother's bedridden and we Mm -hmm. now understand how all of the scenes that we saw in season one with his grandma being hooked up to machines in the back of the house and that room to the side and why ashtray is as fucking crazy as he is why fezco just has such a kind heart because let us not forget that fucking Rue ended up at a drug swap when she wasn't supposed to be, took fentanyl, was about to get attacked. Mm, <laughs> and Fesco was about to get attacked. And Fesco basically had to pay to save her. And he was like, This this woman is this crackhead is family. This girl, he has such a giving heart. He does. And it's cause he just know that he, just at a young age, in order to just I guess in exchange for real family, real love and food and a home. Like this nigga going to do whatever it is he got to do. Yeah. Even if it means threatening Nate Jacobs ass. Yeah. Yep. Like Rue's narration said, she was like, life for him has always been hard, but as he's gotten older, it's become harder. And it was just like, okay. Well, we definitely have commended Fezco all through season one and just being able to see his his backstory with opening for season two. I think that's why there's such a Fezco hive right now. Like the girlies are in love. <laughs> and I think it's because and the writers and I, and I love how they did it, especially give it the two year hiatus we had since season one, because we were able to see 
everyone's backstory in season one except for Fesco, and he was the second character we saw. So we were just, or like the third character we saw. So we were like, why the fuck didn't he get a backstory? And we need to know this nigga's story. So for them to just open up season two, episode one was like, finally, motherfuckers. Like, <laughs> yes, you have our attention because right. we should have been seeing what this nigga went through. And right. It's like we we knew like we had an idea it was going to be like this because we saw season one. So season two opening up was just. Yes, fine. This is what we need. This is what we should have been had. And then we get to get into all the other characters like, you know, the Jacobs family. Good Girl, good fucking heavens. So. Then we go ahead and cut to the opening scene of Rue high out of her fucking mind <laughs> singing Tupac while Fezco and Ashtray are yet again taking her ridiculous ass to a drug meetup. Like, didn't she not learn her lesson the first time? Well, and I have, and I feel like I even had to reiterate this to my boyfriend. Like, she has always said she had no intentions on staying clean, even when she was fresh out of rehab season one. I feel like a lot of people bypass that. Like she shorty been told us when she popped out of rehab. Yeah, I ain't trying to stay clean. Her first uh, stop was to see Fezco and she got her ass some pills. She never wanted wrong. to see. She never wanted to stay clean. And then if you saw her special you saw that she literally is doing her damnness to stay here for the sake of her mom and her sister. She does not yeah. care to be here. And it's so no. damn sad because you're starting, I feel like we're literally going to see the deterioration of Rue as a drug addict and just maybe yeah. just sitting her ass close on death door's threshold because oh. we're we starting to see her not give a fuck. So we have the scene of them essentially because... The in, like the introduction of Ashtray was that he took a hammer to Mouse's face and killed him. So now they need a new connect. So they are oh. now heading to what could be a new potential plug who just so happens to be a woman and why Rue was with them. I don't fucking know. They meet up and it's not only just Custer. It's also Custer and his heroin addict cracked out girlfriend Faye. With the biggest lips that have been so distracting uh, the entire time she's been on the screen. Cool, it might be rude. Faye is doing Faye is doing a damn thing as a heroin cracked out girlfriend. She is doing her damned yeah, job. She, she looked cracked out. Maybe part. that was the the point of the big she lip. Looks the part, right? As usual, they tell Faye and Rue stay in the car, don't do nothing. Mm. And then for some reason, Faye thought that was a good idea. That was a great time to pull out a needle and shoot up heroin. And the and you could just see Rue's face was just like, oh my God, I'm itching, I'm itching, I'm itching. Get me she out like, of this car. Um, bitch, I don't think we, I mean, I see it as she's a heroin addict. I don't think a heroin addict doesn't think there's never not a time to do heroin. They like, bitch, if there's not a cop around, we can shoot up right now. Just, you know, so it didn't shock me. She pulled that shit out and it didn't shock me that Rue started freaking out, which I guess then by drawing attention to the car already outside, them seeing a frantic ass moving around. And it's like, whatever motherfuckers that was with the, 
head honcho lady came and grabbed them out of the car and was just like, what are you crackheads doing? Uh-huh. And basically they rounded them all up, told them all to strip. And this was so controversial on Twitter because everybody was like, oh my God, is Zendaya about to get naked? And everybody was like, okay, we see that Miss Mamas was the executive producer for the episode. So she mm-hmm. has some some say she has some power mm-hmm. but she was able to basically cut the scene where like she ended up going to the back of the bathroom and like dropped her clothes and with that was cut off a camera and they basically threw her in the front where everybody else including fezco had to drop down to they skippers and so do that because you know we're just like we're just getting to know uh angus agnes his name yes. so we're getting to know him so sir if we need you Fantastic to get naked actor. if we uh we need um i'm just saying like him breaking out being a new actor for us to look at like we know zazaya's face since disney but him, girl she was not about to lose that disney check playing around with euphoria she like <laughs> she oh baby i understand that i'm grown but the children love me still and we cannot get naked we cannot no like i am sorry sorry like (laughs) they said i am a emmy award winner i'm not getting naked this is not monster ball she (laughs) said no tatas will be shown Mm -mm. mama's like "Mm -mm." Mm -mm. she said not i look not i the mama white with the daddy black so he said "Mm mm-mm I appreciate the fact that rue got her shit together real quick because she was playing games in the beginning Mm -hmm. and as weird as it was, it looks like the drug deal went well because um, white lady Esmeralda over there allowed them to get started with a new with a new batch of drugs so that they can keep their business going. Right. And it was so interesting was that when they got back in the car, Rue was just because this woman likes to tug on God's him mm. was like oh my god that was so much fun that was crazy the guns were out there they were like bah, 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 bah. and fesco was like we almost got fucked up there was nothing <laughs> funny about that can you calm your stupid ass like girl and that is where we get to experience once again her mania episode it's like this girl is literally on a just grandiose high that she thought that shit was so damn cool like life is a movie like girl no that's real life y'all could have all been killed 12 year old boy too bro bro. she does not care to be here apparently and it's evident Mm. so we finally get to the scene where it is the new year's eve party all of the kids from euphoria high which i'm just gonna call it euphoria high because I'm, tiktok is paid that shit i, I do so popular that. wherever they go to school it does not matter it's euphoria high it's euphoria high so like basically no we, <laughs> i don't even know the real the real school's <laughs> name it's euphoria high from moving on mm. and so we get to a house party uh, with all the kids from euphoria high and it's new year's eve and essentially all these kids are celebrating closing the year out together we see clips of lexi of maddie of jules of cat mm-hmm. and it's awesome to see all of our beloved characters because as you said earlier it's been two years since we've seen all of them and it's just amazing to see all of them back one particular person that we're actually kind of confused to see back is Jules, cause girl, didn't you leave my girl Rue on the train on the train platform? Like she was a piece of garbage. Like, and then you're back. What's going? What's really good? What's tea? And that's because I feel cause and 
And how many people watch the part two Euphoria special with Jules? Because I feel that explains a lot of her story with her reason for getting on the train and what happened prior and after. And it's like, you know, I can't say much about Jules this opening season because I did not watch her special. I don't know what could have been her reason or her story or what went on further. However, just the last thing I remember seeing is her getting on that train was like, she got on that train just, I don't know, like, I guess it was just, I see it as a way of manipulation. It's yeah. like, do we like, do we dislike Jules because of Rue's relapse? Like, are we trying to? That is the question. Because that was a thing that even Jules herself was uncomfortable with. Like, oh my God, Rue is clean. She's doing so well. You know, it's because of you. And it's like, hold on. I don't want to be a fucking drug addict's redemption song. You make a very good point because I don't think it is responsible or the responsibility of anyone that you dictate your actions on if the person that you're in a relationship with will or won't relapse. I think that's nowhere to live life. I think if Jules had the calling to leave, she should feel like if she feels it's necessary to leave she's more than welcome to do so and she shouldn't have a responsibility to rue because mm-hmm. rue has to have the responsibility to herself but we all remember how it went down in season one because mm-hmm. the moment she got on that train rue went and relapsed <laughs> and she asked her she was like so when did you relapse <laughs> just fucking weed jewels <laughs> like when did you relax squeeze me the moment you got on the train i was like oh burn oh, i was just gonna say ooh, burn like burn. Wow. <laughs> just and you know and she knew that that would hurt jewels which is why she said it just with so much apathy she like did. no we're gonna get into that because i was gonna say we will but, uh, we will moving on Oh, well, this is one particular theory that I saw on TikTok that I wanted to ask you. So people said that the first original opening scene with Rue singing was she was singing Tupac. And mm-hmm. then when you have the opening scene to the party, you hear Biggie. And everybody was saying that if you listen to the soundtrack, it pretty much sets up like an East Coast versus West Coast, that Maddie versus Cassie feud that we're going to see all through the season. And I was like, Hmm. Okay, so if I need to start paying attention a little bit more to the soundtrack, then I will, because I kind of like that theory. That is a nice one. The Tupac, because it was what, Biggie's hypnotized walking through the party or some shit? Yep. And that, the soundtrack, um, the symbolism, you know, just... Cassie's hypnotized by that dick. She is dick-matized. Oh, lordy, lordy. That, just the, the, the putting Maddie in the dark, you know, black hair, the black dress, black heels, Cassie keeping it with a light 
pink with the white shoes you know blue dress, dress white jacket very angelic so let's get into it so apparently lexi is looking for cassie because mm-hmm. they got into a fight and separated and he bumps into maddie at the party and she's like hey girl have you seen my stupid bitch sister and she's like no i thought she was with you <laughs> and then we cut and cassie all drunk ass wobbling like a fucking duck oh in her my shoes, lord drunk as shit in a convenience store buying <laughs> donuts and it was so funny because when i was re-watching the show um <laughs> the um the cash register guy was like hey how you doing and cassie was like terrible and he was like 507 right <laughs> he didn't give a fuck right he was like okay well she a drunk sailor girl fuck, right no matter and then she's sitting outside on, on the fucking curb eating powdered donuts even the donuts were white girl even the donuts yes they looking pitiful innocent who just and then who rolls up satan himself <laughs> in that bed truck see (laughs) fuck his chili (laughs) goes in illegally buys beer comes back out gives her one and now she's like oh my god someone did something nice to me because I have such low self esteem and now (laughs) that was I know (laughs) just oh goodness I'm sorry y'all it's I am a Cassie hater this season, so no. I'm, I'm I'm not sparing her. I'm I got jokes. These jokes are for her. Ooh. Like if this was before, let's just get into it. So we then see that Nate, who apparently I guess he had nothing else to do that night, but just ride around his stupid stupid ass truck, mm. decides that he's gonna go ahead and take Cassie to this New Year's Eve party. And I swear to you, he's drinking and drinking and drinking. Now he's accelerating in his car. And that entire scene, I thought somebody was going to die. That entire scene made my stomach hurt. I hated it because she's just nervous looking at him as he's going 100 miles an hour drinking his third beer. And then this dumbass decides, I'm going to stick my head out the window. And I was just waiting for a tree to go by. Like just, just waiting for a tree to go by. That's the that scene just showed us that just like Cassie, it's like she knows when it's dangerous, and it's like, well, maybe this time it's like, no, girl, like that ain't a nigga you need to be getting involved with. A nigga that's drinking behind the wheel in your ass, and she was already pissy shit drunk, and exactly. she and she's throwing beers back. And in whatever sense, he hit a bump, beer get all on her dress, and I guess her panties got more wet than anything. She had to throw those off and t- toss them to the back seat and Girl. stick her head out the window. I'm like, now she's still a blonde, so she's going to do blonde things. <laughs> but I'm just like, no, girl. Like, like just everything was, about that was just, I can't, I'm not, we're not going to blame I hated on the alcohol. It. Absolutely hated it. Hated it. I, Hated it. <laughs> Not a fan. Hated it. Not a fan at all. So essentially, we get that little clip of her and Nate in the car because now we know they're together. And then we get back to the scene of the house where Maddie is like, no, girl, I thought that she was with you, but I have to go to the bathroom. So then Maddie mm-hmm. finds the bathroom. She starts banging on the door. And guess who the fuck is in there? some traitors the ex-best friend and the ex-boyfriend 
but girl, you I wish you you have to say it correctly. The current best friend and the ex-boyfriend, which we all know in girl code is a no-no. You do not fuck your girl's ex. That it's nigga is just thing. always kind of off off limits. But if you feel that strongly about it, you're supposed to have a conversation with your girl. Not when your girl is knocking on the door, then all of a sudden you are filled with guilt and then you want to cry. Because the moment Cassie was like, she's my, she's my best friend. <laughs> the fucking punch her in the face. Yeah. Nate was like, are you crying right now? Yeah, it's like, why the fuck are you crying? You've not been caught. And she, she my best, like to your point, she's my best friend. She was your best friend when you took your panties off in his truck right so let's she was, your, she was still your best friend when you was sticking your titties out his car when he was doing 101 down some highway girl right let's not start castle like i'm right. not doing this i'm not doing this with you cassandra like you i'm just, not doing this no so yeah that that whole scene was just nerve-wracking because i wanted matty to find her I did too. I thought she was going to, but then the, of, of course, if she found her in the first episode, then what kind of season would we have? Right. But that's why she ended up having to hide in the tub and Nate left out. And that's what she get when Maddie threw that pissy rag on her face. I was like, that's what the fuck she got. Mm. So you said, so that was a symbolism. You mean to tell me this is going to be some old pissy shit she get into since it just smacked Probably. her in the face like that probably oh and girl how about the little meat the little meech cameo i was like okay clearly somebody out here working <laughs> now i i was excited to see him because i saw him and like like the scene that was shot with them both outside the bathroom i saw like that little shot circulating around instagram and i'm like i know that ain't little big meech i'm like okay well what, <laughs> right what he finna be doing from bmf to euphoria i'm excited so when i seen him it's travis i'm like Okay, so are we going to see more of him? Because is him and Maddie going to be something? Because that'd be cute. That'd be really, really cute, to tell you the truth. Like, I'm, I'm, um, it, would be, it would be cute just because it's not Nate, but he seems to be just as toxic. You know so. what? Any nigga that's like, hey, I know you. You do? Yeah, you the girl I met in line at the bathroom. Girl, the weakest right. fucking pickup line I've ever heard. That's why Maddie rolled her eyes and then like, she still oh simped. <laughs> she still simped and let that nigga talk to her. I, I would have been like... Did no. she really let him talk or was she just kind of letting him like her? Because she didn't girl. even smoke his weed. She, was, she just kind of gave him conversation while he got high, which I've done. I'll let you, know, you maybe get it was a mutual beneficial relationship for instance because I know that Maddie was just using Lil Big Meat to just piss Nate off or like is it that she wanted to piss him off because we see throughout how she was moving that she didn't give regard toward him or even Travis like again like she knows Everybody know that Nate won't Maddie. And then she knew that Travis... Except for Cassie's stupid ass. Oh, well, oh poor Castle. It's just dumb as shit at this... At, oof, Lord. So, like, like, you remember the montage when they were dancing in slow-mo before the ball dropped? And it's mm -hmm. Nate staring at Cassie and Maddie as they dance. And you can tell in both Nate and Cassie's faces that they're writ with guilt when Maddie's literally just enjoying the party. Like, this girl is literally just having fun. And these she niggas is. are sick. <laughs> so it's like... Sometimes karma works a little faster than you think it will. I know they got stomach ulcers trying to keep this shit away from Maddie. Oh, my who but see she 
Cassie, for some reason, likes the thrill. She toxicity just, I don't know. Clearly. I know she was about to shit herself when that phone when that phone started ringing and then Big Meech came Big Meech Big Little Meech came and opened up the shower. He was like, "Hey, there's some drunk girl passed out in here." Good thing Maddie is a fucking clearly she has to be a fire sign. She was like, "Whatever, let's go dance." Exactly. And that saved Cassie's ass. I did not want her to be saved in that Please. way. I wanted her to go over there and see who the fuck was in that tub so i did bad. i wanted her to see so bad like who a drunk bitch let me see but she just that just shows how much maddie is just about maddie because she like who the fuck care about a drunk bitch do you want to dance with me like let's go fucking dance it's my song i wish it didn't know so then we get a couple scenes of lexi who finally sees that Cassie is alive and sits down ne- and sits down next to Fezco and they start having a little conversation mm-hmm. and I'm like oh am I seeing the beginnings of a good girl bad boy storyline yeah because when he called her fearless she was like "Ooh," because I was just kind of like she probably has never been seen or heard in the way that Fezco made her feel seen and heard she hasn't and we didn't even get to see that for her in season one. So to see her that way with Fez, and if you paid attention, like from the first encounter and every encounter they had after that, when they first talked on the couch and how far away they were on the couch to every time they talked, the closer she got to him when they mm. were talking was just so adorable to me. I'm like, they just getting closer and closer and closer together. And he's just, you know, where did you go? I was starting to miss you. And she's like, oh, you know, don't be lying. He's like, why would I lie? you like the coolest person in here and her blushing. I'm like, mm-hmm. you know what, Fesco, if you fucking hurt Lexi or put her in harm's way, I won't forgive you. I'm here for this, though. <laughs> it seems that, you know, because, again, symbolism, they gave, we get, we seeing Lexi in a red lip. You know, red is like, you know, power striking, taking action. So maybe Lexi is up for it this season. Who knows, you know? Agreed. I really feel like Fezco might be able to bring out a more aggressive side of Lexi that we've been dying to see. But speaking of um, very interesting dynamics, that's the best. What's your thing. take on? What's your take on Elliot and that whole laundry room scene? Because that also told me that she just does not have a problem if God decided to take her home today. Because who oh, yeah. the fuck has Adderall in their sock ready to go just in case their heart just so happens to stop? Somebody whose heart has stopped before because she has OD'd before. So that was the scariest part. And he's she's like, oh, I'm going to need you to check my pulse. He's like, oh, you're funny. She's like, no, nigga, check my pulse. He's like, wait, this is such he's a buzzkill. Like, what? Like, oh, I'm so not high anymore. Like <laughs> Elliot was so upset. <laughs> he seemed that way. He seemed to be happy that she decided um to tell him how he could help her heart resuscitate. And I think he was like, Oh, okay, so she's a pretty cool person now that she's alive. But that was just a crazy act. The fact that Rue just looks at these dangerous situations, these deadly situations, and she just laughs at them. Her and the Grim Reaper, they talk and FaceTime every Saturday. They in the they same book club. They know each other well. <laughs> like, they literally just text before she entered that laundry room, which is why she knew she'd be okay. Because she just like, oh, it ain't happening tonight. Just get the Adderall. Like, what? You've done What's this. Grim Reaper like, hey, girl, what you doing? 
Oh, not that I'm going to do some drugs in the laundry room. Girl, have fun. I don't feel like moving tonight. I'll see you next week. Like, <laughs> like, like that's the only reason, right? That is the only reason why Rue is alive. It's because Grim Reaper was like, bitch, I put my bonnet on already. I'm not leaving right. the house. Rue was alive because death had plans. <laughs> so that's the exactly. only reason why. He said, oh, girl, I didn't already hung up the damn sphere. I'm in the crib. I'm not going back out. <laughs> Girl, that's the only reason why she was alive. So basically, it looks like Rue and Elliot became very close friends. They moved their little powwow to outside so she, I don't know, can get some fucking fresh air. And they're sitting in front of the bonfire. And that's when Jules comes and spots Rue and decides to have a conversation. Because it seems like they've not talked since Jules got on that train, what seems like months ago. Mm-hmm. So she sits down next to Rue. Elliot so kindly gives Jules her seat. And, you know, Jules and Rue are just trying to have somewhat of a cohesive or coherent, somewhat of a coherent conversation. But it just seems like Jules really wants to ask the question because she, Rue, clearly is high, Mm -hmm. wants to ask the question that we all know. And Jules is like, so when did you relapse? And Rue said, when you left, bitch. (laughs) when you got on and Jules just got so emotional about that and then it's it's kind of like what we were talking about earlier like Jules should feel no obligation to dictate her actions on if Rue will or won't relapse but you know being 17 18 you gonna feel some type of to a person you love a person that you want to be with you gonna feel that and it's just you know a learning growing pain It doesn't look like it's going to be healthy for the two of them to continue to try and make a relationship work. But we'll see what happens in the rest of the season. I'm not rooting for it, to tell you the truth. My predictions, um, Elliot might actually come a little bit more into the picture and actually have something with Rue. Like, I feel like they're going to have something. Like, Elliot... And Rue are going to have something and Jules is going to be pushed to the side and she's going to be very, very upset about it. And then she's going to have her own demons to fight. I don't know. I see it being that slowly Elliot and Jules start to kind of form their own separate relationship and getting close and getting cool. Maybe not in the, in the sense that he might like her like he like Rue. But they, but you know, Jewel starts to get comfortable around Elliot because I see for Rue and Elliot, and I and I see a lot of what happened in that laundry room being something that a circle back or be like a full circle moment or a um um like a foreshadow for what's to come. Just him being like, I don't think it was a good thing that we met, and you know, her just being like, oh, well, you know, you my new, you're my new favorite person and shit, and him just being like, yeah. you know, crushing up Adderall to keep you from cardiac arrest, and her just being like, Ooh. trauma bonding, girl, trauma Ooh. bonding. Jewels. It's bad. It's, 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 bad. it's just getting bad, like, because with them being in a laundry room and Elliot saying, you know, because we don't know if Rue took the heroin. However, with Elliot saying, you know, didn't we take the same amount of drugs and her saying no, mm-hmm. it's like, um, so did she take the heroin? Because if they just in the back snorting powder, what you going in a cardiac arrest about? What what is too what is in your what's too much in your heart? 
I believe that Jules and Rue are basically going to have to have a come to Jesus moment this season because I think Rue really wants to have the emotional connection that she has with Jules, but she also wants the drug usage and excitement of Elliot. She wants the best of both worlds. She, yeah. she figured, and I guess she figured she can have the best of both worlds because she's going to die in a week anyway. <laughs> I feel like it's because Ju- Jules. No, because Jules, with with the Jules, Rue would have to be clean. Rue doesn't want to be clean. With Elliot, she can do... She can be she, a full-blown cokehead to her heart's desire and be her true self. Well, whatever little heart she got left since she damn near lost it in the laundry room. So, and to know that Elliot is a person that's like, oh shit, I he go to Adderall to bring her back. She's like, oh shit. Like she said, this is my new favorite person. We so. gotta watch that. But let's cut to this. McKay. Why is this nigga hot? Why is this nigga at high school parties? It really is very interesting to me when like that high school jock, the high school star player then goes off to college and he's just one of many niggas Mm. because he's not able to be the high school star that he used to do. Basically, his ego is not being fed in the way that it was when he he was in high school. Mm -hmm. So that nigga goes back to high school because he knows people are going to know his name and feed his ego and pump him up. And that was just super sad because I I hate seeing McKay go out in the way that he is going out right now. Oh, yeah. Because one... Why are you at a high school party? You are in college. It's New Year's Eve. I know there's millions of college parties, if not bars, you could probably be at. But here this nigga is at this high school party in Cassie's face. And Cassie, I guess, Mm -hmm. told the first truth in many, many moons because she tells McKay that she is not a good person and that he really don't need to be fucking with her. So kudos to Cassie for at least telling that truth. Right. I mean, to your point, he wouldn't at that party to see Cassie because, I mean, Cassie said, you know, Cassie let it be known. Yeah, no, we're not together. We're just in two different places and shit. And then we jump skip to the conversation her and McKay have to where he's like, why would you think that we're in two different places? What would give you that impression? She's like nothing. It was just a feeling. So she's just, this is just some shit that she feeling. She running off of, she's not even expressed to him because he wants to be with her. She feels like he don't want to be with her because what we left off with them, she aborted his baby. Right. So she's like, it seemed like something, which it seemed like something he wanted. So of course he's kind of like, okay, well the problem that we had, that was a problem is no longer a problem. You want to get back in a relationship? And I can see, and I can kind of feel that she's still dealing with a lot of grief and loss and hurt Mm -hmm. because of McKay. And I don't think her feelings, I don't think she was able to, uh, I don't think she was able to communicate her feelings effectively to McKay about why she felt like they were in different places but I don't really, I really haven't seen him address, and this would have been the scene and the time to do it, but I don't really remember seeing him address the fact that she got an abortion at his, because he asked her to, because she seemed to be very excited about what could have been a baby. And he was like, girl, I can't be doing all of that. And she was like, okay, I'll go get rid of it. And I don't, I have not seen him address it. Because it wasn't, I don't think it was even anything that we see they touch back on it's like once that when we last saw them together and he's like 
ain't neither one of us ready to be no parent one day you'll make a beautiful mother just not right now so I don't I got going on on my plate and she's like well I didn't say I wanted to keep it I just do know the idea would have been nice so the next thing that we see with them is the baby's aborted then we see her drunk as shit tumbling over in her Prada's in the gas station so <laughs> we like mm. she has not coped from having that abortion and she's and not even and she ain't even talk to him about it because he's like what what the fuck make you think we in different places and nothing i just what i felt it was a feeling Bro. and we don't know it's not we weren't given any inclination that that is something that you know like well she ain't seen you know they've not seen each other all year and then here they are at the new year's eve party together and he trying to make it work with her like, we don't know anything that transpired between them. All we know is where we left off. McKay and Cassie have a little discussion. She tell that nigga she really ain't shit. And then McKay, I think, kind of puts two and two together and leaves her. And then ends up running into Nate in the kitchen for the cringiest scene Ugh. in TV history. <laughs> That shit was like, and and they knew how to do that because if you remember episode one of season one when he got all cringy and creepy all up in Jules' face, meeting her for the first time for the first time, trying to press up on her and get all like, you know, yeah, who are you? I know what you are. Yeah, I know what you are. Yeah, who the fuck are you? Da da da. Getting all up in her face. Now mm-hmm. here we are again. He all. It's like we're starting to see that. We're we're finna get a creepier side of this nigga because when he did that shit season one episode one we saw the fall and the rise of this crazy nigga now he doing it again it's finna get even weirder and him getting and doing that shit I hope McKay put two and two together like why he's so concerned about your dick and her JJ I don't know that was so disgusting oh I know you had sex with her fucker I know where'd you come where'd you come come? I was like oh my god I can't watch this I physically wanted to crawl out of my skin and leave I really did I was just sitting there like can the scene be over because we get it you really want Cassie and you're jealous because you thought he screwed his ex like can you get the fuck on with your creepy dick ass like and a lot of people were talking about how that was just like super rooted in homophobia which to tell you the truth I'm not saying that Nate is not homophobic. I really genuinely think he has deep emotional feelings for Jules Mm -hmm. that he can just not reconcile with. Yeah. But that shit that he did to McKay was a dominance, like a power move, like a literal gorilla to gorilla, right? Wolf to wolf, dog Mm -hmm. to dog type of shit. Like, oh, I I fucked your bitch better. Like, nigga, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, are you trying to like basic and, 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 and back this all the way up? Ain't McKay your friend? Mm. Like, isn't McKay they're your all, friend? They're all like, friends, which is like you, baby, you couldn't call me a friend to be treating me like that. Like them motherfuckers are frenemies. They do not like each other. Cause like, why would they all are, they all are trash. You know, these, these are high school groups. Cause I mean, if we can, you know, and being in high school, those popular friend groups did date and circulate around in the friend group and it's like weren't they just ain't y'all friends you're not wrong you're but not you were dating wrong. him but y'all were just together wait i thought it's like yeah the popular people when do that when got their ass beat in the bathroom during third period i always was like oh well you knew what it was <laughs> you knew what it was 
Oh no, yeah, this nigga is definitely a Manson motherfucker because I see Cassie <laughs> being the next Sharon Tate because she is going to be putting her ass in harm's way because she can't handle it. Yes. So we move to, in my opinion, one of the most important scenes of the show. Hmm. The Fezco and Nate fight. Fezco was so sweet and so smooth at how he was like, Lexi, let me give you my number. Cute and so sweet. Everybody was like, oh my God, that's so nice of him. And then when he told Ashtray to get the car started, I was like, uh, what the fuck? <laughs> and see, like what I said, going on here? Lexi ain't no idiot. She was like, hold the fuck on. I know you ain't just grab my number to do a, a crime. Hold on. Girl, she you like, know Ashtray a fucking soldier. He was down for the cause. He was dipping and ducking through people. He like, I am on clothes for shop. You gotta get up out of here. No more drugs. Niggas like, hold on, <laughs> we not done. That nigga moved swift. <laughs> that nigga was swift. Oh, so. And then Fast Coach just comes up to Nate, like, you know, what's up? <laughs> he like, oh, last time I saw you, you said you was gonna kill me. No. Nate literally poking the New fucking year. bear. <laughs> <laughs> no it's a new year you make any resolutions nah you right just mm. a few and then literally knocks this nigga out bust a bottle upside his head uh, hit the floor and he goes to molly whopping the fuck out of his face and it got to a point where like mckay tried to help but he completely missed and it was just like that's what he get too, because McKay don't need to be helping him any. Like if he knew what he did, he really didn't need to be helping him anyway. But what was so interesting? Uh, but what was so interesting was seeing how emotional Cassie was getting, because I was like, weren't you just crying your fucking eyes out in the bathroom when your best friend thought you was about to get exposed? But now you are literally the loudest one crying the hardest at this nigga getting beat up, girl. That's obvious. And then what made it weird about that? You called for McKay to help get Fesco off the nigga you got done fucking. Like, girl, how are we doing this? Like, McKay wants to be with you. And you're literally finna have a... That whole she thing. basically about to put that black man in harm's way to save her white man. <laughs> like, girl... <laughs> I'm, I'm quite sure the only one in that moment that would have gave a damn about him getting his ass whooped was Cassie if Maddie and McKay known the fucking truth like that is a long exactly. justified well needed ass whipping that boy got and it was like yes oh my god I did such a dance when that Casamigo got cracked over his shit it was beautiful it was absolutely beautiful and then Rue's reaction talk about damn I was like that's how you know you got a brother in Fezco. That is how you know you got a friend in me. In me. Because <laughs> that motherfucker, that was the best way to end that whole entire we're back bitches. It's just cracking that nigga and just being like, damn. All right. So how damn. did everybody feel about that? I'm like, nigga, y'all didn't put me through so much in the first episode. Yeah, it's going to get worse. It's going to get it's going to get a lot worse. That will wrap up our Euphoria recap. I appreciate you, Sissy, for being here doing a deep dive because mm -hmm. your memory is amazing. You were reminding me things that happened in season one that I was like, girl. Oh, yeah, because I went, I watched season one again when uh, I was back home.